Please remain standing for our gospel reading. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to look at, at that reading from Matthew and look primarily at what the people on the outskirts of Jesus' close circle, what they said about who Jesus was, but more importantly, who his close circle believed him to be, and how that makes all the difference for our lives, for the church, and for our futures. So right at the beginning of, of the reading, we hear that they're on their way to the, the region of Caesarea Philippi. Um, we, we recently had the, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Last week, as, as, as they were walking further north, they met the Canaanite woman who, who pleaded for Jesus to, to heal uh, her, her demon-possessed daughter. And so they're heading in, in, into, into the region which is in the north, which is a little bit separate from life down in Jerusalem. And in this area of, of Caesarea Philippi, you can go to that first slide. There we go. This, this is a photograph of this area, and you can see all those, those niches that are in there, and, and this was an area, last week Pastor Scott talked about dabbling in religion. This is an area where you could dabble in religion. This was an area where, where each of those niches would have a different God, and you could go there and worship whatever God you wanted to. And uh, it was also a big area for Baal worship of the Canaanite people, and then when Rome came and took things over and Philip renamed the area Caesarea Philippi after Philip um, and Caesarea in honor of Caesar, uh, they started worshiping Pan instead of Baal. Um, so just all sorts of gods that you could worship. If you didn't know which god to worship, you could take your pick, you could throw a dart, you could hit one of these gods and, and, and worship them. So this is, this is the setting where Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. And then Matthew says that, that, that Jesus asked the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, it's an interesting phrase. Uh, son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite phrases to use about himself. He uses it all throughout the Gospels. In, in some of the other Gospel accounts of this, of this story, Jesus would say, who do people say that I am, or who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? Uh, Matthew decides just to record him saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself. 
How many of you remember uh, when Bob Dole ran for president? And pe people would ask him about, about his policies and the things that he would do, and he, they would be asking him, and he would say, Bob Dole is going to do this. When Jesus says the Son of Man, it's like saying, Jesus is going to do this. Who do people say that Jesus is? He's referring to himself. And so he's asking not, not who, he's, he's asking them not about who the close followers say Jesus is, but the people on the fringe, the people that are following along, that, that, that have seen the miracles, that have heard the teachings, the people on the fringe, what's, what's the buzz out there about who Jesus is? And so the disciples spurred out a bunch of different answers. They say, some, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others think that, that maybe you're, you're Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And these are all a bunch of, a bunch of answers that, that people were throwing out um, about, about Jesus and his ministry and, and, and who he was. And there's, there's some in, interesting information in there. John the Baptist, um, you know, his ministry was about repent be baptized, look for the one coming, right? He was all about pointing to Jesus' ministry. And in fact, Herod, Matthew tells us in chapter 11, after he had John the Baptist killed, he began to worry, is this Jesus that I'm hearing about? Is this John the Baptist come back from the dead to get back at me for what I did to him? Well, Jesus himself says later um, in, in that chapter, he says, and if you accept it, it's John the Baptist who was the Elijah who was to come. So when people are saying, no, he's not John the Baptist, he's Elijah, well, let's think about Elijah, right? Elijah's the, the guy that, that, that had the big God off, where he had all the priests of Baal and, and, and going up against the God of the Israelites and who could send down fire from heaven and, and burn up the, uh, the, the, the sacrifice. And not only did, did Baal do absolutely nothing, but the God of Israelites sent down fire, burned the sacrifice, burned the stones that the sacrifice was on, lapped up the water that was in the trench to say that God alone was powerful. Um, Elijah prayed to God to stop the rain coming from the heavens, and the rain stopped. And then a time of drought and a time of famine came in, so there was nothing growing, no food. And then Elijah finds this, this widow, and he says, hey, will you take me into your house and, and, and make, make me something to eat? And, and she said, all I've got is this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil. I'm going to make a last supper for myself and my son. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die because this is all we have. And Elijah, by the power of God, allowed that flour and that oil to last and last and last. And in fact, the woman's son died, and Elijah brought him back to life from the grave. And then Elijah prayed again, and then the rain started again, and there was food again. And then Elijah, at the end of his life, didn't die, but rode to heaven in a chariot of fire. Elijah did some pretty amazing things. So we see Jesus doing some pretty amazing things, feeding the 5,000 plus men, uh, women and children, healing people, casting out demons. Jesus did some amazing things. So it's not surprising that, that they might think that, that maybe this is Elijah. And in fact, Malachi chapter 4 says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. They were expecting Elijah to return before the Messiah came. But again, Jesus said, well, John the Baptist, that was the Elijah that you were waiting for. Essentially, I'm it. And then maybe Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as, as, as the weeping prophet. 
Jeremiah had very, very strong words to say to uh, uh, speaking out against idolatry amongst the Israelite people, speaking out against greedy priests in the temple of the Lord, speaking out against false prophets. And, and, and throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus' words, very harsh words for the hypocritical Pharisees. They're like whitewashed tombs, we'll call clean on the outside, but are dirty and dead on the inside, or, or, or vessels where you just clean the outside, but the inside is still filthy. Jesus said very strong things about the religious elite. And so some thought maybe Jesus was Jeremiah. And not just were they expecting Elijah, but, but all the way back in Deuteronomy, God said to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. The people of Israel were expecting another prophet. And so it's not surprising that they would think that this is who Jesus is, a miracle worker, one who calls them to a new way of life, somebody who, who speaks out against the wrongs of religion doing, be, being done in the name of God. So that's what the groundswell is. That's what the people on the outskirts are saying about Jesus. And then Jesus turns to the twelve and asks them directly. That's what they say. What about you? Who do you say I am? And then Peter boldly says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, based on the data and based on, 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 on what I've been hearing and I've heard some people tell me, uh, based on my own experiences, I think that maybe... No, there's none of that language. He doesn't even say, I believe that you are. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And not just a son of man, but also a son of the living God. Jesus is more than a prophet, more than a miracle worker, more than, than a great teacher and, and a great example for their lives. He is the promised Messiah, the one who would save his people. And not just the son of any of these gods that were in these niches in the hill around them. He is the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. This was not revealed by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is not just something he heard other people saying, but God himself revealed it to him. Peter, he's one of, he's one of the 12. He's one of the 12 that walked with Jesus those, those years of his, of his earthly ministry. He saw him do these amazing things like the other prophets did. He heard him say these amazing things like some of the other prophets did. Peter saw Jesus walk on water. And when Peter got out of the boat and walked on water himself, when he started sinking, he saw Jesus reach down to save him. And he called out to him, Lord, save me. Peter knew, because it was revealed to him by God, that Jesus was the promised one, that Jesus was the one who would save his people. And then a tricky verse where we're not going to get into it a whole lot, but Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. There's all sorts of theology and doctrine that can be talked about there. 
Peter says, you are Christos. Jesus says, Simon, you are Petros. You're rocky. You're rocky because that confession is strong and solid. And I'm going to build my church on that confession. Jesus says, I will build my church on the rock that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want you to listen to those words again. Whose church is it? Jesus' church. And who's going to build it? Jesus is going to build on that rock. I, Jesus, will build my church. And then he says, the gate of Hades will not overcome it. Now, another interesting note in this really cool overhead shot of, um, of Caesarea Philippi, you see that cave there uh, that's known as, as the Grotto of Pan. It's a cave with water. And um, uh, originally, the, the Canaanites believed that Baal would, would enter into there and head into the underworld and then come back out and, 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 and do his fertility things. Um, and then when, when Rome took it over, they said, ah, oh, forget Baal, we're going to make it the, the Grotto of Pan. And so Pan did the same thing. He went in and out through the underworld there. Um, and people would, would throw their, their offerings and their sacrifices into the cave in hopes that Pan, Baal, or whoever they were worshiping would go in, be appeased by the offerings, and then, and then grant them uh, fertile fields and, and, and childbirth and whatnot. But that, that cave was known as the Gate of Hades. It was the portal to and from the underworld. So on, on one hand, Jesus is making a reference to this, this geographical place. But he's making it so much more than that. He's not just talking about, about this physical place, this Gate of Hades here. He's talking about the Gate of Hades. The power of sin, death, and the devil will not overcome his church. All right, so that's a quick little run through the reading. What does this mean for us today? We don't have a Caesarea Philippi where we've got all these niches for all these gods that we worship or that people worship. How many of you have seen this bumper sticker? This bumper sticker. Go to the next slide. There we go. Coexist. Now, on one hand, in, in, in the civil realm, we should live at peace with one another regardless of the God we worship. But I think that, that this, this symbol says so much more than that. It says there's many paths to God. It doesn't matter which God you worship. It's all the same in the end, right? And so we here in America have this pantheon, this place where we can worship all these gods. And even if we don't worship, you know, if, if we say we worship the T, the, cro the, the, the cross, we worship Jesus, we still allow all sorts of other gods and idols into our lives. In Luther's large catechism, he finds a god as anything that we put our ultimate trust and security in is a god to us. And so if, if, if we say, yeah, I, believe, I believe you, Jesus, but really it's, it's my career, it's, uh, it's my family, it's my kids' success, it's all these other things, all these good things that God gives us, if we take those good things and put them in a place where we search for our ultimate security and trust, they seek to remove God from his throne in our lives and to become a God of themselves. When we sin against God, we are saying, my own way 
is better than the way that you have set out for us. And so please get off that seat. I want to sit there instead. And it's a hard word to realize that we often put other gods in God's place in our lives. We often worship and serve these gods for the false sense of security that they give us. So we may not have a big rock with a bunch of niches where we set up shrines, but we live in a culture where there are many gods asking for us to worship them. So who, who do the people around us, who do the people in America say that Jesus is? George Barna uh, did a study, the, the Barna Group, uh, in 2015, asking this question to adults across America. Who is Jesus? 92% of adults said that Jesus was a real person who lived, who walked on earth. That's, a, that's an amazing number. Of those adults, 56% that said that Jesus was God. And 26% said that he was only a religious or a spiritual person. Quite a decrease. When asked, do you think that Jesus, being a real person, sinned? 24% strongly agreed that Jesus sinned. 28% somewhat agreed. And 15% somewhat disagreed. So 67% of all adults in America thought it was possible that Jesus sinned. And only 31% disagreed strongly. So who do we say Jesus is? We say, we say, oh, you know, he's a good teacher. You know, he, he did some really cool stuff, maybe, maybe, maybe miracles, maybe not. Um, he's, he's, he's a great model for our lives. But when you ask the people in America, who is Jesus? They're kind of getting the answer wrong. Maybe he was a prophet, maybe he was a good man, but, but that's it. There's all these other gods that we can worship. One of the first things I learned in the class that I just finished up in seminary um, is that in order to begin to study God, in order to begin to have an understanding of who God is, we first need to have an understanding of who mankind is. It's, it's an understanding of anthropology. And as, as Christians, we believe our anthropology is we are sinners. As a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, we are born with a sinful nature. And we can try and do good things, but those good things are not going to get us any good favor with God. Because at, at the center of our being is sin. And if that is our understanding of mankind, we are sinners and cannot free ourselves, then our understanding of God is we need a Savior who can rescue us from this world of sin. And that understanding changes our answer of who we say that Jesus is. Because when we come through the waters of baptism and receive the mark of Christ and receive the name of God on our hearts, we know that he reaches down and rescues us when we are in over our heads in sin. And so we can confess, Jesus is my Savior. 
Jesus is your Savior. And this is not something that, that, that you say just because you learn it. This is not something that, that you come up with on your own. In Luther's explanation for the third article of the Creed, it says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. Left to our own devices, we can not. But that revelation that Jesus is our Savior is given to us by God. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. The gospel has revealed who he truly is to me. And that belief that Jesus is our Savior, the Son of the living God, that is what Jesus will build his church upon. This and no other thing. Mankind is dead in our sin and can only be made alive by the Christ, the Son of the living God. And whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. And who is building this church? Jesus. And what does he build it with? Does he build it with bricks and drywall? He builds it with living stones. Peter himself, in, in his first letter, says, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Who's doing the building? Jesus, thank you. Paul continues Peter's thought in Ephesians and says, you are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And that rock, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what is building this church of living stones. And then Jesus says, the gate of Hades will not overcome it. Not just a geographical place in Caesarea Philippi, but the powers of darkness and death cannot overcome Jesus' church built on the faith that Jesus is our Savior. Some of you may have, may have uh, noticed that when I came back to Indiana after my sister Lisa had died, that I came back with a tattoo. And um, while it may have seemed like a spur-of-the-moment thing, I've been planning tattoos for, for a while now. Um, and while I was up there, um, I, I made the decision that, that I, wanted, I wanted to do something. And I wanted to do something that was God-glorifying. Um, this symbol, which is, which is what, I, what I got here, this is known as the Cairo. And it's, uh, the, the X shape is the Greek letter chi, and the P shape is the Greek letter rho, and they're the first two letters in the Greek spelling of Christ. So this was very early shorthand in the church for Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you've got an alpha and omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end. And so I got this to remind me that when the gates of Hades seem to be prevailing, when, when sin, death, and darkness seem to be overwhelming, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, in, in fact, while, while we were up there a, a few days before Lisa died, uh, Lisa accompanied a few choirs, and one of the choirs that uh, uh, the director was our principal and our organist when we were in grade school. He directed the, the Michigan-Ohio Lutheran Chorale, and they came and sang a few songs in the living room. And one of the songs was Beautiful Savior, Son of God and Son of Man. Well, after Lisa had died, the hospice nurse that, that came to, to care for her, he, he had long sleeves on and he reached out. And I saw that he had a Cairo right here. I thought, what, 
what a wonderful thing. I mean, I prayed for a miracle. I, I sought Jesus to be the miracle worker. I prayed that, that, that Lisa would be healed and that the cancer would go away. And there's, there are some people, praise God, that the cancer is gone. But for Lisa, that's not what happened. And, and, and I wondered, am, am I not following the example of Jesus enough? Am I, am I not praying the way that he wants me to pray? What am I missing? It seems like the powers of hell and sin and death and darkness are prevailing. I wanted a miracle. I didn't get that miracle. But Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Before each of us were born, before Lisa was born, Jesus knew Lisa. And when Lisa was born into this world of sin, Jesus reached down in the waters of baptism and rescued her. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the Christ. He was Lisa's Savior. Jesus is the Christ. He's my Savior. He is your Savior. And he is the Savior of the world that needs to know him. That he is the only way. He is our true north that always guides us home, home in the arms of our loving Father. And the power of hell will not overcome it. For our good and for his glory. Amen. I invite you to stand as we profess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.